Praise the Lord. I do. I appreciate these two young folks, and I appreciate all of our young folks and that are living for the Lord, trying to live for God in this hour and this, um, what I would say is a sin-soaked world that is in need of Jesus. And I hate to... Um, I hate that some of the situations are as prevalent in our society as they are, and yet I believe still in the power of the Holy Ghost. And so I believe the Lord is able to help them. And uh, I, I know there's only two, and so I'm, but yet today, graduation day, I, I try to concentrate on giving maybe a few life lessons from the word of the Lord to these young people. So as I've said in the past, uh, most of this doesn't apply to any of you. So you're here to help encourage these two and, and uh, some of the others that we have that are graduating that uh, and be there for them because we are growing legacy and today is our graduation Sunday and we want to say congratulations to all of them and I do um, applaud the work the hard work that you went through to get to where you are and I know unfortunately you got hit your last junior uh, maybe sophomore and some of maybe even freshman year with a lot of craziness with regard to COVID and classes and changing and um, unfortunately according to statistics we've seen uh, the uh, ability levels plummet in our schools because of being out of the classroom and so you all are having to play a little bit of a catch-up and I know uh, you're yet <clears throat> you have both of you have ability and you can do that and I unfortunately during this time you also uh, we saw a lot of other tremendous pressures put on young people because uh, the very idea of what am I going to do, where am I going to go, what kind of job, where, what am I going to, am I going to go to college, am I going to technical college, am I going to just enter the workforce, and, and uh, more instability than ever before because uh, the people are working from home and people are uh, all sorts of issues that probably we have never experienced in the history of America and even the world as to what's going on within our society and this is dumped in your lap. Unfortunately during this time there was a proliferation of some uh, sins and what we would say addictions from uh, internet addictions, pornography to uh, alcohol, drugs, and um, I hate to 
to uh, tell you this, but I will say that during the last three years, <clears throat> the leading cause of death in your age from 15 to 24 has all of a sudden turned upside down. Now, we know that the top three leading causes of death, number one is unintentional death that will hit your age group from drugs like fentanyl and other things that are accidentally ingested or pranks that are played and uh, individuals are, are, uh, are killed accidentally. In fact, we stand shocked when we read about young people that uh, have uh, lives have been lost. In fact, uh, a man, young man here at Denison uh, had been uh, inebriated, drinking heavily, and, and went out and froze to death in our own community during these last couple of years. And didn't make a lot of news. Nobody wanted to talk about it a lot, but happened right here in Granville. And so uh, <clears throat> those are things that are, are unbelievable and hard for me to fathom. And I know of course, driving accidents, et cetera, fall into that category, which makes it number one. But uh, the second leading cause of death, which is a new one as well, is suicide in this age group. And that's from uh, a, a great deal of pressure that probably did not need to be put on you all, such as trying to figure out now not only where you're going to work and what are you going to do, but um, who are you going to be? Are you going to be the gender that God gave you or another gender or uh, what's going to happen in your life? And of course, I know you all were raised in conservative and Christian principled homes and so that's nailed down. But unfortunately, your, your classmates have had to struggle with some of these things. And when you don't have a full understanding and appreciation for God and that there is a creator and that he is in charge and that he is number one, then you are left with uh, a lot of uh, instability. There is no foundation under you because you see society fracturing and divorces and so forth. And so what you know, and even uh, this week, uh, there was uh, a lady, I, I believe, or last week, Tina Turner, some of you may have heard of her, was a kind of a famous star, and she sang a, a song that became popular years ago. Some of these people know it, you all don't probably know it, but it was a title, What's Love Got to Do With It? And a line in that song was, who needs a heart when a heart's going to be broken? Wow, kind of a sad line. And yet, then the third one is now a leading cause of death in this age group is homicide. So no longer do we have physiological deaths that are ranked up there, whether it's heart or whatever, but we have all of these top three have been switched up. And back before COVID, uh, we used to play a game when I was in school, and it was usually in grade school, but uh, you see that slide back there? What is that? 
what, what kind of game do you think that is? Huh? Dodgeball. I don't know if you if y'all ever played dodgeball. Did you ever play dodgeball? I did too. See, that's an old game. Believe it or not, I played dodgeball. And we had a couple of different ways to play dodgeball. The first way that they played dodgeball, I hated. It was like everybody is against everybody. And the coach would just put one ball out in the middle of the gym and whoever had was daring enough to run get it and then they started throwing it and if you didn't catch it or if you got hit, you were out. But then they got it a little better. It was a little more fair. You may have played it more fair where the coach would line up balls on the gym floor and then divide you into teams and you couldn't get right up on them, and so it made it a little better. But when I was a kid, the dodgeball would sting because they would get right up on you and, and play. And the whole point of dodgeball, who wins at dodgeball? The guy that knocks the most people out? Whoa, what did you say? The guy who survives. The longest. That's exactly right. And unfortunately, that's where we almost are, is how are we going to survive this hour? And it's that sense of, okay, I'm going to dodge this, I'm going to dodge that, I'm going to dodge this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be careful of that, I'm going to dodge that, I, and that's winning and yet in reality the Bible says we are supposed to be more than conquerors. You're supposed to be defeating things and be victors. It's not supposed to be surviving and I know probably at some point in your journey you were thinking how can I survive my last year in school? How can I survive my last test. How can I survive? And yet, at some point now, you have made it, and you've got to flip this mentality because it's no longer about just survival. It's about thriving. It's about being able to go forward. It's about what am I going to do for the kingdom? What am I going to do as a Christian? How am I going to live my life as a more than conqueror? I'm not just supposed to be a conqueror, but I'm supposed to be a more than conqueror. And so the issue becomes, you know, is it possible for me to be more than conqueror? And I realize that Christianity is under attack like we've never seen it. In, in, in America. We were founded, we used to be considered a godly country, a Christian country, and, and back President Obama was the first president that publicly said we are not just a Christian nation, but opened it up to all religions, and he was making that statement as a point of inclusivity, and yet what we have seen from that is that Christianity is under attack. I don't know if you all are aware of the headlines in the sports. This, this very year, when they started making a lot of 
ballparks in the in the you know the professional ball players uh, to celebrate and invite uh, alternative lifestyle groups to celebrate Pride Month, which just began in June the first this year, and there were four or five that I remember, one from Toronto, one from the Nationals, two from the Dodgers, and there were a couple other pitchers that really kind of took a stand and felt like, ooh, I don't know, that doesn't seem right. You're inviting groups that are anti-religion, and one of them, bless his heart, got sent down to the minors because the the organization basically said, sorry. Another one came out and apologized. I'm so sorry that I voiced my opinion. I'm so sorry that I said I don't believe that. And so what we have seen is it's not just here. It's not just in school, but you are now on the battlefield. You've been protected, but now it's going to be where will you stand in this hour? Do you believe and, 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 and embrace that there is a God? I, don't, I believe who he is. I know who he is, and I'm sorry. I'm not going to be uh, swayed by the ideology that's going on around me. Amen. Because It is, and I'm not, you know, more and more, and you all know, you you just can't imagine that there would be such a backlash against somebody. And if you read their statements, they were not saying, we don't support people that have an alternative lifestyle. We are not saying, we're just saying that Are we going to invite Christians to come as we would other groups? And even those statements were taken as hate speech. And we've seen this transformation in our nation. And the idea is what's going to happen with you all. And I I feel like apologizing, and yet I know I, I didn't want it, but I am not wanting to apologize, I'm wanting to challenge the two of you and any of our graduates that are listening. This is the time that the Lord wants to make conquerors and warriors and victors out of you all. And you have the opportunity to carry the banner into the next generation. And and it's a vital turning point that's going to happen. And and I realize that God has an order and a plan for your life. God is a God of order. He is not ever out of order. He he believes in order. 1 Corinthians, the uh, 14th chapter said, all things should be done with regard to decency and propriety and in an orderly fashion. So I am not... I'm not asking you to go out and picket the local establishment or doing whatever, but you are really basically, you know, are going to have to make a choice that I am going to be in this army. I'm not just a survivor, but I'm going to conquer and I want to be equipped. I want to be trained. I want to be used of God and I want to carry the mantle forward. I know that it is important for me. I wish I could tell you that we have the power and then this generation 
to impact your generation, but it's going to be people like you that live for God, carry the banner, and are warriors for God that are going to impact your generation. And this generation is in chaos. It is sad. You may not recognize the attacks on the spiritual and emotional, but when you think that suicide has risen in this age group to the second leading cause of death, and when you think in terms of the unintentional deaths and then all these things, it, it is a chilling proposition and understanding. And so I, I'm going to look through the book of James just for a few verses. And I know it's, <clears throat> we have a get together and things are going on and Brother Azzalini is going to be here. But I want you to consider the book of James and <clears throat> you, you know who James was? The guy that wrote the book of James? Either of you know about James? You know who he was related to? He was who? It's exactly right. He was a half-brother to Jesus, a younger brother to Jesus. And it's exactly right. And James was um, the half-brother. Because, the reason I say half-brother, because Jesus was, of course, born when the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. But James was the son of Joseph and Mary. And James was, um, he thought his older brother was kind of nuts. He thought his older brother had lost it. In fact, the Bible records on 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 a couple of occasions where James and, and his mother and his other siblings came and they tried to tell Jesus, you know, calm down, you're way out there, you're, you know, you're saying things that are not too bright, you're radical, and you lost it. In fact, um, basically almost like you're crazy and yet they didn't see or know who he was but so James would would have been what you would have said was you know probably a little more level-headed and didn't want uh, didn't believe he was not one of the disciples he didn't follow Jesus he was not he wasn't he didn't follow his older brother he was not like wow, my older brother's radical. He's a little bit of cuckoo. And I'm not, in fact, his position was to try to stop his older brother. And so yet something happened. And our guess is that James was in the upper room with Mary, his mother, when the Holy Ghost was outpoured. But James, this stepbrother of Jesus, after the crucifixion after he saw what his brother went through, after he heard. At some point, James became a believer. James became converted. James got the Holy Ghost, and James became a great leader 
in the early church and wrote this book about basically how to uh, survive, how to thrive in the hour that uh, followed the, uh, when Jesus was gone. And he opens it up, his writing in the first verse, it says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes. Of course, it, this, this epistle is given so much weight, it's the first epistle recorded after the Pauline epistles. And so the first from Romans all the way through Hebrews or according to uh, scholars were written by Paul and now James who follows that. And here's what he said. Count it in the King James Version. Count it all joy. In the Amplified, I'll read it out of the Amplified where it says, consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, when you are enveloped or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. And if you're going to make it in this hour, you're going to have to recognize where your source of happiness is. Because unfortunately, our society has... You know, we got a song. Don't worry. Be happy. And it's like, okay, if I can't be happy, maybe there's a drug I can take to make me happy. If I can't be happy, maybe I need to change wives, husbands, jobs. Because I should be happy. And your classmates are wrestling with that. How do I get happy? I'm not happy at work. I went one day and I just wasn't happy. I thought it would be better than this. I worked two days, I worked a week, and I just wasn't happy. And so we see this whole society of, I, I, I can't last, there's no stick to there's nothing, there's no foundation. And that's because you're looking at happiness as something that is out there. And James said, count it all joy when you go through what? Trials, temptations. Now, what? I... So when you are being attacked, you count it all joy. And I know it's hard for you to understand this philosophy, but do you know that there were people, soldiers, that literally, it was like, I'm tired of being on the base. I want to go shoot a Nazi. I want to go kill somebody. I want to go fight. I can't wait to pull my gun, shoot. Now, I know, I'm not asking you to pull a gun and shoot, but there's something about the generation that came before yours that had this thing of, you know what? We're conquerors and we're not gonna let that conquer us and we're not gonna let those things get us and so I am happy when I'm engaged in battle and you're gonna have to recognize that the more the enemy tries to get me and the more he tries to trip me up, what has it gotta produce in me? Joy, because it lets me know I'm in the right place at the right time, I'm in the front line 
lines. I don't want to be in the back lines. I want to be right there where it's happening. I count it all joy when I'm going through it. And then he goes on the next verse and he says, be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith, he believed that the more he was going to be tried, the more he was going to be tested, the more things were going to come against him, the more opposition he faced, the more it got rough that it was going to produce something in him. Now I know that's a hard concept. But if you've ever worked out, you understand the need for it. The harder, you know, and unfortunately we have, you know, you reach an age where, you know, push through your pain, you're not supposed to do. But you have people that are no pain, no. So they go to the gym and look at that, you know. Doesn't matter what it's doing to my body. And unfortunately, they make funny reels about them. Picking up weights and then just crumbling under them. Dropping them on their chest. Everybody laughs. But the truth is, when it comes to faith, the more your faith is tried, the more, it doesn't mean that you're doing wrong, it means that it's producing something in you. And he says the trial of your faith is going to bring endurance and steadfastness and patience. So you cannot, you don't need to fear. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen. About, I don't, I, I, you cannot live in fear of what may come your way or what, your, what society is going to throw at you or what's going to happen. You live in faith. The trial of my faith. The Lord, I know that maybe I, my emotions are getting pounded, but you know what? It's going to make me stronger because I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to be in the prayer room. I'm going to find somebody to pray with me. I'm going to get involved in the network. Why? Because we all need to have stronger faith. When the Lord comes back, will he find what? Faith. And then he goes on in the fourth verse and he says, and let this endurance, everybody say endurance, steadfastness, and, oh man, those three words. Have full play and do a thorough work so you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking nothing. What was he saying? He was saying this, do you want to be perfect? You can be perfect. You can, you, you say, well, there's no way. I can't do it. I can't, you know, yet if I have patience, if I have endurance, if I had steadfastness, I have staying power, it will produce perfection. The reason why some folks still struggle with stuff is they lose those three things. They can't endure the process. They're not willing to persevere and they don't have patience. 
I know not you all personally, but you know, you pick up a game and and uh, you play it and lose interest in a little bit. I don't have patience to play it very long. They only give you so many lives anyway, and you gotta wait for an hour. But unfortunately, we have people that do it with, you know, instruments and whatever. I pick up the trumpet, if I don't like it, doesn't work, put it aside. I don't have any endurance. And unfortunately, what we read statistically is that your generation has no endurance, that has no perseverance. I'm not talking about you all personally. I believe that you do, but if you're going to be a conqueror and a more than conqueror, you all have to develop that. How do you develop endurance? By letting the enemy try your faith and keep your connection to God, counting it all joy, worshiping through it all and saying, you know what, devil, you thought that blow was going to get me, but it's not going to be there. I am going to be like a tree planted by the water. You don't put it in the ground and the next moment it's grown up, but you know, you persevere and you endure and you have patience and you're going to be fully developed. But you say, I, 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 I want I want to be I want to be all that I can be and I want to be all of that by the time I'm 20. I understand. I got it. I wanted to be it all by 25. 30. And yet it takes patience and endurance and steadfastness. And that's the thing the enemy is trying to do his best to destroy in your generation. He is trying to make you all. And they call whether, you know, and, and you read the articles and they go, your generation can't hang on to a job for more than six months or a year and you're off to something else. And your generation can't. And, 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 and sociologists slam that and you know and I know you know you all can hang up banners and say yeah but so and so did it and he became a multimillionaire and so and so did it and he became a multimillionaire but in, I'm going to tell you James said if you're going to survive and not just survive but thrive in this hour you're going to have to become a a fully developed soldier and that takes steadfastness, that takes endurance, and that takes patience. And he goes on, verse 5. If any of you is deficient in wisdom, you have a deficiency. And you say, well, I don't, I don't know as much as you. I, didn't, I, I wasn't as smart as you. I wasn't as smart as somebody else. And, you know, I'm not as smart as Google. Google's got me beat, whether it's true or not. But, you know, there's always somebody you can compare yourself to. But he said, if you lack wisdom, what did he say do? Ask God, who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault-finding. What a powerful verse James wrote. And it will be given him. So if you have any deficits, 
If there's anything in your life that you say, I, I didn't develop this, I didn't have that, I didn't have it. I want to tell you, you have a source that you can get it and it's not necessarily from Google, but God is willing and able to fill in the gaps in anything you need. Now you may say, well, I, okay. And then he said, let him ask of a giving God. Why? Because the Lord wants you to succeed. He is willing to give liberally and ungrudgingly, but you're going to have to be willing to do what? Ask. That means developing enough of a connection and a relationship with God that I know how to talk to him. That I know how to say, Lord, I need help. You know, I, I, knew, I know how to pray, and I, I've seen you all at our prayer meetings, and I'm thankful for that. But knowing how to pray, we used to have a saying that we said, push. Anybody, you know what that meant? Push? Anybody out here remember what push meant? Pray until something happens. That's better than... L-M-O-A-A-O-M-O-T, whatever it is. All the other letters. Push is a better one to remember. Pray until something happens. I remember several years ago, ladies not even here today, but Sister Jenny Cawthorn, she talked about when she was a younger Christian, she wanted to learn how to be an intercessor. And so she got to where she would go and pray next to intercessors because she wanted to imitate intercessors. We've got people out here that have had the Holy Ghost. My mother's had the Holy Ghost over 80 years. We've got people here. Anybody had the Holy Ghost 70 years or plus? Let me see your hands. A few of you, a couple of them. Look, there's some back there, Sister Hartley. We got people that have had the Holy Ghost a long time. They've gone through all kinds of situations. These young people, oh, well, no, not. They didn't have to deal with AI and they didn't have to deal with cell phones, but they still had to deal with spirits and they had to deal with being made fun of and they had to deal with not having very many and around them and a lot of support and they had to deal with sin and problems. And so there are things in people that you can get around that you can say, listen, I want to learn how to be a warrior. I want to learn how to fight the good fight of faith. I want to learn how to be a victor, a more than conqueror. And so I've got to learn how to ask. And what Jesus himself says, you have not because what? You don't ask. And so I, I want you all to learn that you have to learn how to pray. You have to learn how to pray. And maybe you already know how to pray, but it's more than just, now I lay me down to sleep, or more than, you know, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, one eats the fastest, gets the most. Amen. Gobble, gobble, gobble. It's more than that. As a warrior, you need to learn how to pray in the morning. You need to learn how to pray all day. You need to learn how to pray as you're going to work. Prayer needs to become a part of who you are because it shows that I need God in my life to help 
me with any deficit I may have. And you say, well, I don't have any deficits. Well, let me tell you, you're fixing to find out. The world is full of deficits. And I know what's amazing to me is sometimes folks will come and they go, I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with this. And you ask them, are you praying? No. Have you prayed? No, I want you to pray for me. And we pray for people and people call and we send out texts and we pray and and it's more than folded hands emoji. Folded hands, folded hands, folded hands. But it's learning how to push and pray. And James said, if you want something, all you have to do is ask. And he goes through and he says that. And what's so amazing about the verse is he says, God will give it to you with no reproaching or fault finding. That's a powerful testimony. The Lord is not going to say, this is the third time you've asked me for wisdom and you're still being an idiot. <laughs> That's not the voice of God. You've got to learn that there is a difference between the voice of the enemy and the voice of God. The voice of God says there will be no reproaching or fault finding. Now, Satan is the accuser. And he will talk in generalities. Like, you're such a loser. You're such a failure. You're hopeless. You're lame. You're an idiot. You're goofy. You haven't learned this by now. You're still struggling with this. You're still... Anytime you hear those generalities, that's not a voice from God. That's the voice of the accuser. And you've got to be able to distinguish between the voice of God and the voice of the accuser. This verse that I just read says he gives with no reproach, no fault finding. And I've had people say, well, I stopped praying because I just felt so stupid praying for the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm thinking, you were hearing the wrong voice because God answers with no fault finding, no accusations. You know what voice you're listening to? The enemy's voice to try to demoralize you, to try to get you off of the front line and of being a victor. Why? Because when God will deal with you, he'll deal with you in specifics. He's very specific. He's not general. He's not, you're an idiot. When you hear, you're an idiot, you're lame, that's not the voice of God. What God will say is, you need, to, you need to apologize for that. You know what you just did there? You didn't show any patience. You need to get that right. God's very specific. In fact, you know, he works on us bit by bit, attitude by attitude, emotion by emotion, and he always leaves you standing up. Doesn't leave you feeling like you're a worthless failure. Anytime you hear that voice, you know it's not God. And I'll show you, the Lord has given us lists in this thing right here. And they're very specific about don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't be immoral, don't be immodest. 
He's very specific. He didn't just say, now that you've got the Holy Ghost, be a good boy, be a good girl. Be a winner, be a champion. He didn't, go, he didn't talk about generalities. He's very specific in the Word of God. You can find specifically what he wants. And James said in verse 6, he says it like this. He says, only it must be in faith that he asks with no wavering, no hesitating, no doubting. For the one who wavers, hesitates, or doubts is like the billowing surge out at sea that is blown hither and thither and tossed by the wind. What James was saying is, to a generation 2,000 years ago, but it applies in 2023, is you guys cannot become beach ball saints. Beach ball Christians. Beach ball. That's what he says. Something that is billowing surge out at sea that's blown hither and thither and tossed by the wind. He was describing a beach ball. They didn't even have beach balls. But I, 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 I had our ministers today blow up beach balls. I want you to have a beach ball. Because he said, I don't want you to be a beach ball Christian. Because beach balls, it doesn't take much, does it? To bounce them around, knock them around. You know, they're just, they're, they're very light. Put one out in your yard and... Uh, here we got some young ladies up front. I got some more beach balls here. I don't want you all to be a beach ball either. Here you go. Uh-oh, knocked your phone off. Oh, it's Todd's phone. Oh, oh it's whose? Alyssa's. I'm sorry. Here, let me give it to you. That's good. She left her phone out where she wasn't going to have to look at it. Thank you, Alyssa. He said, I don't want you to be this hither, thither Christian that's tossed around by any, you know, whatever wind, whatever blows. Oh, and then notice what he says in the verse. He says, because in no hesitating, no doubting, for if you doubt and if you hesitate, and this world is full of doubt. And it's like, is there any real reason? Should I do this? Should I stand up? I don't know. Does God care? I don't know if God cares. I don't even know if there is a God. I've been asking in verse 4, and now I don't know. I'm not sure he heard me. I'm not sure he has a plan in my life. I'm not sure he loves me. I'm not sure. I don't know. Listen, you've got to nail it down. I know in whom I have believed. And he is able to do exceedingly, to keep me, to touch me, to make me perfect. 
You have to walk into faith and you say, I'm going to let him work on me. If you don't know how specific he is, read Ephesians 4, read Colossians 3, read Galatians 5. I didn't even put all the verses up there because he goes down line by line and he'll deal with you about it. But he said, if you're like a beach ball Christian, you will never receive anything from the Lord. Just, you know, a little bit of pressure. Somebody knock you around. Oh, I had a bad day. Had a bad week. Boom, 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 boom. He said, if that becomes your method of operation, Jesus himself explained this when he said, the first and principle of all commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love him, love the Lord your God, out of your what? Whole heart, and out of your, all your soul, your life, and out of, with your, all your mind, your faculty of thought, and your moral understanding, and out of the, all your strength. This is the first and principal commandment is to be on fire on the front line full of the Holy Ghost. I know you've been surrounded by classmates and family and now you're stepping into an adult world and I'm going to tell you that the only way you're going to survive it is to get your feet planted on a sure foundation of I love God, I serve God, I'm going to serve God, I am not going to be a beach ball Christian. He's talking about servants in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Paul said, not in eye service, as if someone's watching you. It's not enough to come into church on Sunday morning, and I can look good, and I can have my hair done, and I can have on my best clothes, and I can look sharp, and I can, I all the good, good, see, and then I go out and do my own thing all week. That's not what it means. That's a beach ball Christian. That's what I, not what is going to get you through. You, when you pray as a beach ball Christian and you go, I don't understand why God doesn't answer my prayer. Because look at my life, my track record. Bounce, 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 bounce. He said, but as servants or slaves of Christ doing the will of God heartily and with your whole soul. What James was trying to say is you guys have got to be fully committed, firmly planted, totally red hot. Have you ever heard of red hots? You like them? No? They were a good candy. Red Hots. That's what I want you to be for God. Okay? You don't have to like them. You can give them to your brother. Your dad may like them. 
here, I don't like this. You eat it. Huh? <laughs> I just want the two of you to be, to know from me as your pastor. Yes, we've prayed. We've born, I, you all were either just newly born or were born after we got here. We've watched your lives. You've been raised in and around church. And I've seen both of your lives, and I'm proud of you both. But wherever you go, whatever you do, you're going to have to make a determination. I'm going to be a red-hot child of God. I know that sounds a little radical, and James kind of was afraid of his own brother being a little bit nuts. But what our society needs right now are young people that will be red hot for God. And you're the best hope we have graduating this year of being red hot. And that means worshiping whether anybody else does, praying whether anybody else does, being in the house of God, being at corporate prayer, leading the way in worship, making sure that on some level, you know what? God is going to work on me and make me perfect. I don't know how long the world will last. I mentioned this morning that Egypt attacked Israel or a group in Egypt. We see the signs of the times, but we need, the church needs young people that are red hot for God. And you see people out there that have learned how to go through all kinds of things and have gone through all kinds of things. They'll teach you how to pray if you want to learn. They'll teach you how to change. They'll teach you how to be a different person, a better person. But if you will ask God, he'll give it all to you. But you know that we're praying for you, okay? I want you two to stand. We're going to come down here. Church is going to come. We're going to pray for these young folks. You can bring your beach ball or not. We're going to pray. I want the church to gather around. I want them to be red hot. I want to tell you something. I gave you a, I gave you a USB. It has the last 10 or 11 graduation Sunday services. It has Bible charts, unlocking the Bible, others. It has tracts, Brother Bob Keys wrote. It has a letter that Nick and Bree wrote when they graduated high school. There's a lot of wisdom on this. It has today's slides. I know you can throw all of that away and put photos of your dogs or puppies on it, but I'm putting it in your hands because you're holding the collective wisdom of this church, these sermons on graduation, because let me tell you, it will take you through.